You are listening to From the Trinity Pulpit, a podcast of Taproot Faith. This is Matt Joyner, and I am the host of Taproot Faith and the pastor of Trinity Reformed Episcopal Church in Mason, Ohio. If you're looking for a liturgical, biblical, gospel-centered, Christ-loving church and live in or are visiting the Cincinnati area, feel free to join us any Lord's Day. We would love to have you. And now, here's the sermon for this past Sunday. You have your Bibles or your prayer books in front of you. You can open them up to our epistle reading from this morning, which is Acts chapter 2. As I hope you would imagine this morning being Pentecost. And I have to ask everyone's forgiveness. I forgot to send out the memo to let you all know that you were supposed to wear red this morning. <laughs> Pentecost. That's okay. This morning, as we come to celebrate Pentecost, one of the first things that I think is important for us to remember and to to wrap our brains around, if you can, is the fact that it has been 50 days since we said the words, Christ is risen, together for the first time. 50 days. 50 days since the Feast of the Resurrection. And we have lived these 50 days greeting one another with Christ is risen, with reiterating it to one another, indeed he is risen. Shouting the joyful cry, Alleluia, Alleluia. But we have to think for a moment as we look at this Pentecost, this feast of Pentecost that we mark normally as the birthday of the church, which is true in a sense, but not true in another sense. We ask ourselves, what is this Pentecost? What is it? And why did this happen on this day? Why did it happen on this day? One of the things that I think we want to begin by thinking about is an experience that I'm sure all of us have had at any given point in our lives. How many of you have had the experience of having to wait for something? Okay. And not just to wait for something, but to have been promised something and then to wait for something. I don't mean... That kind of waiting, like, you know, I saw a joke not long ago that said that, you know, when we were kids, waiting anxiously was sitting on the floor and staring at wrapped Christmas presents under the Christmas tree. And now, anxiously waiting is sitting by the window looking at the front door as soon as we push order on our Amazon (laughs) and waiting for the UPS truck to arrive. Guilty. (laughs) Especially when it's books. Um, But in any case, waiting is a central theme here that we have to keep in mind, that we may not see it. But we have to remember that in context, that's exactly what is happening. At the end of Luke's gospel, when Christ is raised, and of course Acts is written by Luke, so Acts is really Luke 2, in a sense. It is the sequel, if you like, to Luke's gospel. And at the end of Luke's gospel, the Lord tells his disciples, go into Jerusalem and wait there until I send you power from on high. Until I send you power from on high. Now, something that's really important about that is his use of the word power. I will send you power from on high. Well, power to do what? 
We will see in a moment. But something that I think is interesting, and hopefully you do, is the word power in Greek. In Greek, it's dynamis. Some people say dunamis. You can see what, what English word comes from that. Dynamite. Dynamite. I will send you something explosive from heaven. But go and wait for it. Go and wait. And so the disciples are huddled in this room together, 120 of them, and they're waiting. They're waiting for whatever it is that the Lord is going to send them. They're anxiously expecting it. They've already seen the risen Christ. They've already had the experience of interacting with him, of eating with him and communing with him and spending time with him and seeing his ascension into heaven. And now they're waiting. They're waiting for this power to come down from on high. And it comes on the Feast of Pentecost. The Feast of Pentecost, which was a Jewish festival. In Hebrew, it's called Shavuot. The Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks. It was equivalent to, you might say, to our Thanksgiving. It was a harvest festival. Where they would bring in the best, the first fruits. And offer them. It's called the Feast of Weeks. Because the time between the Passover and Pentecost was a week of weeks. Seven weeks. 49 days. And Pentecost was the 50th day. And so they were gathered in Jerusalem anyway. With all of these people who had come to offer and give thanks to God. For his gift of the harvest. For his gift of the fruits of the earth. But also, Pentecost was another important festival in the Jewish mind for a very different reason. Shavuot was also, in the Jewish tradition, the day that God gave the law to Moses. That Moses was on Mount Sinai and God gave him the law. And he brought the law down to the people. So the giving of the word of God, the giving of the law, is at the center of what Pentecost was for the Jewish people. And so we find these disciples waiting. And what happens? When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were staying. Okay, pause. Beginning of verse 2, suddenly, suddenly, there was nothing gradual about this. There was nothing that we got worked up toward. There was no working us up into a frenzy. God didn't have to send the warm-up band to come out and get the crowd ready for the main attraction. It came on suddenly, immediately, while they were praying, while they were together. And a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven. Have any of you ever been in a house where there was a tornado going around? Sounds like a car is going to get thrown through your front door, doesn't it? You can only imagine what this is like when it's coming from inside the house. A sound like a violent rushing wind coming from heaven. 
And this was not some windstorm outside. This was a violent rushing wind that came from heaven. And it filled the whole house. And they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Why fire? Why fire? In the Old Testament, fire was symbolic of three things. And all of them had an overarching symbolism of the presence of God. But these three things were light. Fire brought light. The reason we have candles on the table, the reason that we go to churches and we see candles everywhere is because they didn't have these things. Up until very recently in history, illumination, when it was dark, came about through some kind of flame. Whether it be a flicker of a candle or a bonfire. Fire gives light. And the presence of God is shown all through the Old Testament as a fire. We see in that same account where Moses is on the mount receiving the law of God... We are told that the mountain appeared as if it was on fire. When the people of Israel are wandering through the wilderness, they are being directed by the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of smoke and fire by night. Fire is a symbol of light and illumination. And so the fire of the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples to illuminate them. And through them to illuminate the world. Fire is also an image, excuse me, of God's strength and power, of the fullness and all consuming nature of his presence. In Hebrews, we're told flat out our God is a consuming fire. That when he comes, he consumes that which is. Near him. That he is that all consuming fire. That he is the reason why the bush was consumed but did not burn. And we're told in John's gospel that when Christ cleared the temple of the money changers, that the disciples were reminded of the Old Testament verse that said, That zeal for my father's house will burn within me. In the book of Revelation, Jesus, through John, writing to the church of Laodicea, says that you are neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. And so I spit you out of my mouth. This fire is meant to burn in all of us. This fire of the presence of God is meant to burn within each Christian soul. That if we have been touched by the Holy Spirit and given new birth and new life, that the fire of the seeking after godly things should burn in our bones and that fire should consume us more and more and more as our life goes on. The search and the desire for holiness in seeking after Christ, the zeal for the things of Christ, the zeal for the things of the word of God and the truth of God should burn within us because Christ is there, because God is there. A zeal for the things of God. And finally, finally, fire represents judgment. 
doesn't it? If we go back to Leviticus with Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, who go into the tabernacle to offer worship to God in a way that was not commanded them. They went and they offered something that they wanted to do. They went and they offered something that was against the way that God had explicitly told them to worship. And fire came across the mercy seat, across the top of the Ark of the Covenant, and consumed them in judgment. Fire is a symbol of judgment. All of these things, all of this symbolism is coming to rest on the heads of the apostles in the upper room. And from them, they they disperse out into the streets. Because the result of this fire coming down upon them is they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The word here for tongues is glossai or glossolalia. And it literally means a spoken tongue. Something that somebody actually speaks and would understand. The equivalent today would be that if the Spirit came down upon us and we went out into the streets and you had never learned to speak Spanish, but the Spirit had enabled you to speak it so that someone who only speaks Spanish would understand what you were saying. That's the idea. That's what's happening here. Now, there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. Why? Because they're there to celebrate Pentecost. They had probably, many of them had been there since Passover. Because depending on where they were, it would take them probably longer than the trip to make the trip twice than to just stay. It was easier for them to just stay for both feasts. Devout people from every nation. What does that mean? It means that those who were in Jerusalem at that time were those who were actually serious about their faith. Those who were actually there to offer sacrifices to God in a genuine heart. In a genuine sense of love for God. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were astonished and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? This gift of the Holy Spirit, the fire that fell upon the apostles on that first Pentecost day in the church, was the gift of evangelism. It was the gift of sharing the gospel with the people. It was the gift of illumination of the presence of God and of judgment. Peter stands up and gives a sermon after our passage is over. And he tells them, this is what this means. This, what you're seeing, is what the prophet Joel spoke. And he illuminates, as Christ does, the Old Testament scriptures, the prophecy of Joel, telling them, That this is what would happen. This is what would happen. He illumines and sheds light on the scriptures for them. Then he says to them, Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, verse 21, bringing the presence of God into their midst by the proclamation of the gospel of Christ. Bringing real, the presence of God, down through the power of the Holy Spirit, illuminating the scriptures. And by doing that, 
He then brings judgment into it. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, signs that God did among you through him. Just as you yourselves know, though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you use lawless people to nail him to a cross and to kill him. There's that judgment. You did this. But God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. The fire of the Holy Spirit enabled the apostles to bring that illumination, that presence, and that judgment into the world. To proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he had come, had lived perfectly, had died for them in their place. Offered up as a sacrifice on their behalf. And the apostles went out into the streets to to tell the people that this God, the only true and living God, otherwise none other exists... This one true and living God has given his son in fulfillment of the prophecies, raised him to life anew. And though you were guilty of his death, you may have redemption in him. The Holy Spirit gives them that gift. And we're told that 3,000 come to faith in Christ on that day. If only we had a tenth of this evangelistic fire. If only. And as I said at the beginning, it's often said that this is the birthday of the church. And in some ways, that's true. In some ways, that's true. The birth of something distinctively Christian. Directed at Christ. The person of Christ being fully God, fully man. Crucified for us and raised again. That is true. But in reality, the church, the word in Greek is ekklesia. The gathering is what the word means. The gathering of of people devoted to God did not begin on Pentecost. And it did not begin when Christ gathered his apostles. It didn't begin when Moses gathered the people and led them out of Egypt. It didn't begin with the children of Abraham. It didn't begin in the garden. But it began in heaven when God created the angels who gathered around his throne to worship him. And when he creates us and brings us to him, he unites us to that eternal song in heaven. He unites us to that eternal worship, that eternal and everlasting church that has existed since before the foundation of the world. The Holy Spirit unites us to that. So often we focus just on the gift of tongues. Oh, look, they spoke in tongues and that's what happened on Pentecost. No. In fact, what does Pentecost, what does tongues do? If you remember Genesis chapter 11, the people are building the Tower of Babel up toward the sky so that they may look down on heaven. And God looks down and says, they only have one language. I'm going to go down and curse them by breaking their language into many. And when God sends the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, he reverses Babel. He reverses the curse that he gave to men in their hubris at the Tower of Babel. He says, no more of this. No more will I divide and allow men to be divided. But I will unite them through the power of the Holy Spirit. I will enable men from every nation, tribe, and tongue to hear the gospel in their own language. 
so that they may hear, receive, and find salvation. All of these things, and many, many more besides, are what Pentecost actually means to us. And what that means is that, and I hope you hear this, you do not need to be a Pentecostal to be a Spirit-filled Christian. Every Christian, by virtue of your baptism and your profession of faith, is a Spirit-filled Christian. You have the Spirit of Christ dwelling richly within you. If you belong to Christ. And what it means for us then is that we should be living like it and pursuing it. Pursuing the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit within our lives. And that doesn't mean what many people today think it means. If we look at this day, it means that the power of the gospel has broken out into the world and has given the church power to proclaim the gospel into the world. That is what Pentecost really means. That has been given the church the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim the mighty acts of Jesus Christ in the world to all men and women and children. Every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so for us... In the power of the Holy Spirit, he, should enable, he enables us to reach out to all the world. To be the church in all the world. To give glory to Christ in all the world. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We pray that in all of our lives we would do nothing, as the scripture says, to quench the Holy Spirit, to grieve the Holy Spirit, but rather that the Holy Spirit active in us would raise us to new heights of understanding of the word which he inspired, that he would raise us up that we may live lives to give glory to you, that the Spirit of Christ dwelling richly within us would cause us to give glory to Christ and thanks to Christ for what he has done for us. That in your church, the Spirit would move us to open our hearts, our arms to those who need to hear your gospel. And that you would change our hearts to reflect yours. We ask all of this in the blessed name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.